You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. I've come to the conclusion that surprise billing is an actually diabolical scheme. You get a bill, here's what happens on the ground, and then you get several more. And then you ask for a summary, which can take months. You now have questions because you're very confused by all these different bills coming in that have words on there you've never seen before, like in-network and out-of-network. The health insurer will send you to the provider. The provider will send you right back to the health insurer, and you can bounce like that for weeks. Each throws up privacy roadblocks, claiming they can't talk. And if you're helping a family member out, they're asking for copies of power attorney and appointments of representative, which readily disappear on a routine basis. The insurers then refer the claims to the processor. The voicemail menus now put you in purgatory. And then more surprise bills keep arriving. And then the phone calls start threatening collections after a few months. So name any other industry with this free license, and it does take genius to develop these games to block, delay, and obfuscate the customer or be less customer-centric. The conspiracy theorist in me could argue that this is very thoughtfully planned. That's why I call it diabolical. It's likely a little bit of incompetence and planning, or both. But collections are a big business. They're $80 billion last year, and it affected 43 million people who are in collections currently. There's another 40 million people who borrowed $40 billion to pay for medical bills last year. So banks are big winners. Returns to collection agencies are owned by public companies like HCA and Tenet, and also nonprofits like CHI and Dignity, now called Common Spirit. So we know the returns are about 30% on the collections industry, which is about triple that of what the hospitals generate on the for-profit side, nonprofit side, about equal. Stanford did a study and they found that out of 13.6 million bills last year, that about 43% of the outpatient bills were surprise bills. Of the 5.5 million inpatients that they studied, the sur surprise bill totals about 42%, about the same. And the average bill is a couple of thousand dollars. Federal legislation is literally going nowhere. Regulation is uninterested. And in fact, collection agencies have greater license today than they have a year ago because lobbying that they've done with regulators to harass and shame on a more frequent basis than they were before. 28 states are passing laws that offer at least some restrictions on surprise billing, but federal regulations limit their reach. For example, self-insured group health plans, which apply to employees of most large corporations, are not protected by state laws. So playing games with one in five Americans is no way to win sympathy for big health care in an election cycle and voters are officially angry enough to give socialism a very real shot in healthcare. Today, we're going to be meeting a guest who is doing what he can to fight the good fight and help the individuals out, which are the employers and their employees, to get the best deal. His current role is the founder of Self-Insured Pharmacy Networks, Vinay Patel, is revolutionizing how plan sponsors pay for pharmacy benefit administration. SPN Simple, Clear, 
value cost plus model allows plan sponsors to generate significant savings over traditional spread pricing through true invoice costs of drugs on a per member per month fee that is now tied to prescription claims and volumes of billed charges. So, Renee, you're a clinical pharmacist, am I right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. Tell me how you found your way to this industry. Thank you so much, Ron. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. So, you know, as a pharmacist, we have been, I have been working in different settings involving community pharmacy, academia, and, uh, you know, clinical practice with physicians, offices. And throughout all these uh, areas of practice, we continue to see one common thread, and that is that the insurance companies, namely those that manage the pharmacy industry, pharmacy benefit managers, control almost every aspect of pharmacy uh, care and uh, practice. And uh, we also see on the financial side how uh, traditional PBM practices are overcharging employers and employees to the point where uh, we see cases every day coming through pharmacies where patients have to decide between food and medicine. And that shouldn't be the case. And that's really how we got here to help solve that problem and take on these Goliaths. Well, and they are Goliaths because there's six big ones that control most of the market. My understanding from a former insider, I'm not a reporter, but just a guy that I used to hang out with and was with a PBM. He told me there's 17 different ways they can play games. So we know about rebates. We know about games they can play with spread pricing. But in reality, more than a dozen ways that they can tap into the revenue stream of what's going on to find their way to profitability. Am I right? Oh, that is that is correct. Yeah, 17 would be on the low end. <laughs> I'm, I'm in favor of of multiple more revenue streams that are tiny but but significant. So you can shut down rebates. You can you can encourage transparency, and in the end, there's still games that can be played. Is the problem with PBM? So this friend of mine, he actually started a PBM back before I even knew what they were about 15 years ago, and his gambit was to offer 10% on the upside and 10% on the downstream. And so he had his 20%, and he gave the pricing and made it available to customers on both sides and it scared the caca out of the big boys now they weren't all consolidated like they are today but they acquired him pretty quickly because what he was doing was exposing under their skirt and they didn't want to show their games i don't know if you're going to be in that same position where you're going to be fighting a good fight and be a soldier in the war and then you know they're going to need to get you out of the way you know the the industry's changed so much in 15 years that i personally think that they're so consolidated and vertically aligned that they just see every other tiny startup and disruptor in the market as uh, just a fly on the windshield until we become significant. So we're going to have to work our way through this battle upstream, up the mountain, um, before we even get recognized or relevant enough for them to say, you know, do we want to crush them or do we want to buy them out? So is your customer going to be self-employed plans? It's going to be the employer and the third-party administrators that manage them? That's correct. Yep. Okay. So... Let's let's pretend I'm one of those guys. What's the pitch? Tell me how you separate yourself from the pack of others that are doing the same. So to start with, in an industry where the conversation around the country is, how can I get my drugs for cheaper? And the price just needs to keep coming down because those costs are so exorbitant for medications. We come in and say, well, if we keep going down this path, there, uh, eventually we're going to reach a threshold where you're going to start crushing the reimbursement that pharmacies get below their cost. 
And then we're going to start to see a lot of pharmacies go out of business. So our model is different. Let's start at the floor. Let's start at what pharmacies are buying drugs for and add a fixed margin on top. None of these list price discounts and games on discounts for medications. Instead, we start at the floor and work our way up. And then we can start having a real conversation around the value of pharmacy benefits. Start viewing your pharmacy benefits as a tool to help reduce those medical cost spends and that healthcare cost trend that's also creeping up as well and, and represents a larger piece of the pie, at least for now. Uh, and so, you know, move, move away from list price discounts and get towards a value-based conversation where we can start utilizing the tool that, tools that we have, one of them being pharmacy, to help affect those, keep these patients healthier. So are you and Patel able to keep up with the big six with wholesale price to you? In other words, are you paying the same pennies per pill that an Express Scripts or an Optum is going to be paying as a large PBM with buying power? Are you at the same starting date as them, or are you in a different pricing structure because of your volume? So here's the funny thing. PBMs in and of themselves do not purchase a single tablet of a medication that they dispense to members on their plans. So in reality, what they're doing is just taking a price benchmark out there, for example, average wholesale price, and saying, I'm going to give you this discount. And based on what they were able to negotiate with the pharmacy network that they have, they're either passing those savings on or they're more likely, more than likely happens is they're giving a lower discount to the employers and creating a spread. Okay. So you're able to buy, say, a Gleevec at the same price as the big boys, uh, not buy it, but your reference price, your wholesale price, your blue book price, we'll call it, is the same as the big boys when you're looking at the wholesale cost. Exactly. Right. Okay. Right. Right. You're in the same ballpark with them, and now you are a giant threat to them because um, as you start getting more and more market share, they get exposed. It's the same problem my friend had 15 years ago. They're going to eventually have to get you out of the way because this is a pretty lucrative industry. That is correct. Absolutely. You hit it on the nail. Yeah. So what is the reason we even have PBMs in the first place? If in the case of your competitors, they're supposed to negotiate on my behalf as an employee, and they're negotiating with their bosses back at corporate in the same transaction. I don't get it. How can they possibly do that without a conflict of interest? Again, this is uh, my personal opinion, is the plans have the fiduciary responsibility to make as much money for the plan. There's no skin in the game for them, as we saw in that uh, Express Scripts uh, lawsuit with the city of Rockford, Illinois, that the fiduciary responsibility remains on the buyer of healthcare to make sure they're getting the best deal. When the, the city of Rockford went back and said, hey, you know, we, you told us when you came to sell to us that you're here to help control prescription costs. Uh, but when they were, you know, when push came to shove, they said, we're not contractually obligated to control your drug spend. And, you know, this is what leads to the example and the problem that uh, you're highlighting here. You know, it, we need to make as much money as possible for our plan. That's our responsibility. And we need to find business streams or revenue streams that, that increase our margins. So 60 Minutes did an expose based on the filings from that lawsuit. And literally, I don't know of anything that's changed after that 60 Minutes showing other than maybe a little red-facedness and embarrassment. But did anything literally change statewide, regulation-wise, federally, or with any types of uh, laws in Congress? Uh, so to the best of my knowledge, nothing has been put into law to, to stop or change 
uh, some of that behavior. I do know uh, the Senate Finance Committee, uh, Senator Wyden, has uh, introduced a bill to help combat some of these PBM practices, and that is making its way uh, through Congress, uh, that, the last update that I heard. Do you have any faith that Congress can get things done in light of the uh, healthcare lobby that has almost half a billion dollars to spend on uh, essentially buying favor? Yeah, that's a great question, Ron. Uh, I I want to stay I want to stay optimistic and hopeful that we can get something done in this country that we all agree upon, which is healthcare costs are out of control and including prescription drug costs. But will it happen? Uh, you know, if I were to put money on it, it this, the margins are slim that we will get something significant done. But we do have some people, you know, that do want to take the charge. We we look to them for leadership and courage to try to get this done. I used to think that. Companies like United Healthcare or HCA were the King Kongs of the big healthcare space. It's not. It's the PBMs. They have much larger market cap. They don't have a bigger lobby than pharma, than medical devices, than the hospital lobby, but they have a lot of clout with the uh, dark money. The dark money meaning executives from these organizations can funnel non-FEC filed dollars into these campaigns. So we really actually don't know the full extent. It's estimated that it's about the same as the publicly filed half billion and dark money. But it was kind of shocking to me that the PBMs actually had bigger stroke financially than the other monsters that are 800-pound gorillas. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why they want to buy them up. You saw these vertical integrations with Cigna and Aetna. And of course, United uh, got into this game way earlier than the other guys. But yeah. So let's talk about the pennies per pill versus dollars per pill, per pill that an employer gets when they engage you guys. What kind of discounts are you seeing passed on to the employers? with you involved? So on, on average, when we look on balance, just repricing claims at pharmacies, and of course, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't mention that our part of our value proposition is we want to drive traffic to independent community, locally owned pharmacies across the country. Uh, if your audience isn't aware or know, a third of all pharmacies in the country are still locally owned independent pharmacies. Uh, most think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% and, and it's a dying breed. I can tell you that uh, you know that, the, that number represents over 22,000 pharmacies uh, in our country that has in total about 66, 67,000 individually community, you know, communal, community pharmacies. That's 67,000 includes CVS, Walgreens and the like uh, and everything. Uh, and then a third of that's independent community owned pharmacies. And so, you know, as we, so our, our, our preferred network is the independent pharmacies, but we have access to all the pharmacies. When a member goes to an independent pharmacy, they'll get the cost plus rates. And if we look at, you know, on balance repricing uh, claims at, at our cost plus rates, we see about a 15 to 20% savings. Uh, but it all depends on that unique contract that that employer has with that PBM. We've seen contracts as bad as uh, 35% savings and some that are as good as 5 to 7% savings. So uh, it's really unique and based on the terms that that uh, plan sponsor has signed with that PBM uh, and how good of a job they did negotiating that contract. Okay. So your pricing is going to be different for every employer. Are you saying you're negotiating prices? Because I thought you said you have sort of a standard markup that's the same for every size employer, big and small. That's correct. That's correct. When, when we look at our pricing compared to what they're paying today, that savings will differ based on what their contract says today that they're paying with their current PBM. Okay. What is your expectation? What do you think you're going to look like in five years? Are you going to be 
much larger? Or do, you, do you see a lot of room for growth in this industry? Uh, this industry is, has tremendous opportunity. As you said earlier on, six players control the majority of the market uh, and just three control about 80% of the market. Uh, I think if we go after just the three that control about 80%, the big three, the really big three, uh, there's tremendous, tremendous opportunity, especially with the enlightenment uh, phase, that age that I like to call it, uh, with employers waking up to realizing that depending on their industry, they can't afford to spend more on healthcare than they do today. You've seen all these cost-shifting structures come, a come to, to, to a head here in the last couple of years with high deductible uh, healthcare plans. And there's, there's only so much we can do on that front to keep shifting costs away from the employer to the employee. As they come to realize this, they're more and more will go self-funded, more and more will take control back into their hands to really affect uh, the healthcare spend so they can spend it back into their companies to spend back on their employees or infrastructure or growth, whatever they have their priorities set on. And so in five years, I can see us controlling a million lives, uh, going after big corporations like Delta and Coca-Cola and Home Depot that you know, will really want to ride on this uh, momentum that we've built with the smaller self-funded employer groups over the last you know, five years, five years from now. What is your sweet spot in terms of size? What, is, what are you looking at right now in terms of your typical? Right now, our sweet spot is about 1,000 employees. A company that has about 1,000 employees has uh, enough local control where the board or the executive leadership team is making the healthcare decisions, and it hasn't all been shifted into a department, into uh, HR, and we're able to go in and, and, and really share the story of local companies wanting to work with local healthcare entities like local community-owned pharmacies, uh, and they understand that and they value that. And then when they see the model, the financials, that makes sense to follow that, and of course, all the games that they may not realize because of the complexity uh, that exists today in the pharmacy industry. Uh, that's what makes for a, a great uh, customer in our eyes, the ideal customer. Okay. Um, so you're optimistic about the future, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And um, do employers and employees have reason to be as optimistic with folks like you coming into the system? If, if I understand the market correctly, employers are already investigating solutions to try to save their businesses because of how much healthcare is eating into uh, their costs and their employees' costs. Uh, and so as they look for solutions, there's a, a tremendous amount of uh, startups just like us, not just in the pharmacy space, but all across the healthcare space. And that can be overwhelming. What I see the opportunity is once, we, once they identify the trusted players and the players that are going beyond transparency to, to really showcase how a model like ours can depend on them seeing all the information instead of hiding the information and hiding their claims data from them, that they'll come around. It's going to take some time, though. So do you think that one of your secret powers is your transparency? Absolutely. Without a doubt that... In a game where there's so much frustration, confusion, you know, the, the employers that we talk to, they say, they tell us, we know that there's a game being played in pharmacy. We don't know how much they're making because we don't understand all of it, but we know that there's something going on and that creates so much distrust. If you, when you come in here and you're, you're able to showcase on our claims exactly how much the pharmacy is getting paid, exactly how much the drugs cost now with a, with a true benchmark and exactly how much you're taking, 
on a per member per month model instead of a per claim model that in, you know incentivizes PBMs to increase the claims. It's a breath of fresh air. Okay, I'm going to take a step away from pharmacy. So pharmacy is basically only about 15% of the spend of our of our uh, almost four trillion spend we have a year. Really, hospitals are about 40% of the spend. Do you see any other colleagues of yours that are doing something in a similar space for other verticals in healthcare that are? Uh, bringing transparency to the table. Is transparency a trend that seems to be breaking out all over? Is that just my imagination? Uh, you know, that's a great question, Ron. I, I, we do know of a few other people in uh, parallels here into, in healthcare uh, that are doing something different, whether it's a transparency theme. I don't know if uh, I can make that conclusion yet. Uh, you know, from the government's perspective, we, we saw an announcement just earlier this week uh, where they're going to ask all insured companies and hospitals to list all the prices that they get paid from every plan type, uh, from cash to uh, all the insurance carriers in their area. And so uh, I do see that from a government perspective, they're trying to push that. They're trying to push transparency to get people to realize exactly how much, what they're paying and what is benchmarked to everything else. You know what I see going on there with that? It seems to me a noble charge at the windmills, but it takes a lot of courage for Ms. Verma to put this out there because she's not going to be in the administration seven or eight years when this lawsuit is over. She's going to be a new administrator. It's going to be a new political environment. It almost seems like optics. I know that she's got noble intent and she, you got to start somewhere. I mean, you can't just leave the status quo, let the game be played as it is. But I just, I'm concerned that who knows who's going to be in her seat in seven or eight years and if they're going to have the same intent she has. So let's talk about how people can find you. Where would people look to find you? So they can go to our website, uh, www.s as in Sam, I as in India, pharmacynetwork.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. SIPN PBMs, our Twitter handle, uh, self-insured pharmacy networks, uh, LLC is our, uh, LinkedIn handle. So, you know, they're welcome to call me. My uh, office phone is 919-436-3359, extension 101. And uh, they can email me, Patel at sipharmacynetwork.com. I'm happy to have conversations and, and field all kinds of opportunities, uh, even if it's just consulting. We've helped plan sponsors look at their contract and get better terms to save them money, even if we didn't win business and help process their claims. Now, there's actually a prize at the end of my show for anybody who does what I'm about to ask you to do, but if you could fit on a banner, a message to all Americans that you think is important in healthcare, what would that message say? And I'll explain what the prize is later. So, so you're saying, uh, Ron, if there was a banner flying all across America, what, what would that message say on that banner? Yeah, what would your message be to Americans? I, I would tailor my message specifically to all the companies that represent self-funded plan sponsors. And my message would be, don't stop fighting because you don't realize how much leverage you have in the industry. 60% of Americans are employed by self and healthcare are employed by self-funded companies. Uh, if they just work together and unify to come together to upend the current status quo, they could revolutionize healthcare and we, we wouldn't have to wait for the government to do anything. Okay, so the prize would have been if you actually could have fit it on a banner, which you didn't, but it's still a good message. So here's, here's the thing. I completely yeah. agree with you. Employers are basically the game changer here because they're funding this mess. And we employers, until we wake up, are going to keep funding this mess. Right. So I, I don't know any statistics about how many folks 
are bringing transparency into their companies, that are bringing yeah. self-insured plans that are creative into their companies, the health rosette advisors into their companies. But there is a giant ecosystem of people that are working to drive costs down and care up and outcomes through the through the roof because we have nowhere to go but up. Absolutely. But uh, you and I are on the same page on that. All right. Well, we'll watch your progress and stay in touch with you, Nate. We'll try to get you back on the show again. And when you hit that millionth patient, let us know so we can get you uh, to have a little celebratory conference on the phone. Okay. Ron, thank you so much for the time and the opportunity to come onto your show and uh, share our message with your audience. It's been uh, it's been wonderful to have this conversation with you and others. Okay, Vinay, thanks again. Thank you for listening. You wanna shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.